Good morning. A shocking toll. New images emerging in the wake of Ida's brutal march across the country. We lost everything. More than 40 people killed in the Northeast, one of the deadliest storms in years. Parts of that region still underwater. Thousands rescued from flooded homes and highways, roads now littered with abandoned cars, while down south, misery mounting in Louisiana. Just don't want to cry anymore. I'm tired. The president heading there today. We are live with the latest on the damage and the race to recover. Summer send-off. Tens of millions ready to start the long holiday weekend. But with COVID cases still surging nationwide, many are being forced to change or cancel plans. From traveling to staying safe, what you need to know heading into Labor Day. Battle lines drawn, the intense and growing reaction from coast to coast to that restrictive new law now in effect in Texas, banning nearly all abortions. This is not just about Texas, right? This fight is at our doorstep nationwide. Could dozens of other states soon pass similar laws? We'll take you inside that fight. Firefly failed. Dramatic video of a rocket bound for space exploding off the coast of California just moments after liftoff. So what went wrong? All that plus stripped of gold. Controversy at the Paralympics after an athlete has his medal taken away. The reason? Being three minutes late to the competition. Today, Friday, September 3rd, 2021. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hey guys, welcome to Today. It is a Friday morning. So happy you're starting it with us. Savannah and Craig is all, are off and it's me and you, girl. Good morning. We're going to take you through this Friday together. But first, of course, let's get to our top story this morning. The unimaginable toll from Ida. The death toll has risen sharply here in the Northeast for more than 24 hours after the storm, entire neighborhoods are still underwater. Yeah, take a look at these. These are live images right now from Philly, one of the many roads there. Uh, it's been turned into a river. We're looking at an aerial shot. It's, it's been difficult times there in Philadelphia. Meantime, search and rescue operations are still underway in Louisiana, where crews are just now reaching areas cut off by the storm. And nearly 900,000 people are now entering a fifth full day without power. Well, yeah, without scorching heat, too. We've got complete coverage on the damage, the recovery, and the impact, of course, on this holiday weekend. Plus, the governor of hard-hit New Jersey, he will join us live. But first, NBC's Gabe Gutierrez is in Manville, one of those cities in Jersey, overwhelmed Oof. by the flooding and also clearly fires. Hey, Gabe, morning. Hoda, good morning. This home behind me is still burning. The one next to it apparently exploded. And for a while, it was very difficult for firefighters to get here because this entire neighborhood was underwater. Thankfully, no one was inside this home at the time. But across the Northeast, at least 46 people have been killed. And today, a massive cleanup effort is underway. This morning, the Northeast is shaken after the remnants of Hurricane Ida swept through, catching many off guard. We lost everything. Torrential downpours, unprecedented flash flooding, and powerful tornadoes battered businesses, homes, and public transit. What we've got to recognize is the suddenness, the brutality of storms now. It is different. In Central Park, record rain, three inches in just one hour. I've been here for more than 20 years and never seen the park like this. 
In the city, at least 13 people are dead, including a two-year-old in Queens, trapped as the floodwaters rose in this basement apartment. It's very, very devastating. In New Jersey, stunning loss. The storm claiming at least 23 lives here. Sadly, tragic, historic 24 hours in New Jersey. There's no other way to put it. A porch camera capturing the moment a home exploded after it was evacuated due to rising water. Luckily, no one heard in the blast. This storm has left destruction in its wake since it first hit the south on Sunday. And now in states across the Northeast, a flooding emergency. Video showing a minor league baseball stadium submerged. Cars underwater, livelihoods under threat. Back is filled, basement's filled. From suburban New York to outside Philadelphia, urgent water rescues. And in southern New Jersey, a terrifying EF3 tornado. The National Weather Service now says it packed winds of up to 150 miles an hour. Ashley Thomas is eight months pregnant, her home gone. Everything was just crashing down on us. And this morning, the Connecticut State Police mourned the loss of one of their own. Sergeant Brian Mull died after his cruiser was swept away. We lost another member of our family and every troop was devastated. Back here in New Jersey, this is what's left of that home that apparently exploded. And now that the waters have receded in this neighborhood, we're seeing cars tossed around here in New York City. City officials say that they had to tow more than 500 vehicles and had to rescue some 800 passengers from the subway system there. Across this region, many residents say they were just caught off guard by the intensity of this storm. Hoda. All right, Gabe Gutierrez for us there in Manville, New Jersey. Thank you so much. Now, let's welcome in the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy. I know you've had a really difficult, busy 36 hours. You guys have really been through it. I mean, the flooding, the tornadoes. Uh, just, And you've had a chance to survey the damage, Governor. What is your number one concern as you wake up this morning? Good morning, Hoda. And by the way, our death toll, sadly, has climbed now to 25 overnight, and we have at least six missing uh, across the state. My biggest concern right now is that folks have to appreciate the fact that we're still, while, it, while the weather may be good and while the floodwaters may have receded, uh, we're still not out of the woods. Um, we, we still have uh, a lot of damage that we're dealing with. We still have floodwaters that are uh, higher, significantly higher than normal. Uh, you're looking at a, at a baseball stadium there in, in, in New Jersey. Um, we're still in this thing and, and folks need to take this seriously and at the same time we mourn the loss of those lives uh, and uh, we're going to clean up and we're going to stay together and we'll get back on our feet but it may be a long road. You said 25 people uh, have, have died so far. That number is just shocking. Um, do you expect that number to go up? You mentioned six people missing. Hoda, sadly, uh, likely yes. Um, uh, I would guess it would. It went up by two persons overnight. Uh, we know, as I said, of at least six people who are missing. And, and I have to say this, that the tornado did not take any lives, as, just, as awful as that was, as destructive as it was. And I visited with some of the families yesterday. Uh, everybody went down into the basement and they lived. Uh, all of these deaths are related in, in either directly or indirectly to flooding and water. Uh, either in cars or homes, and it's an absolute tragedy. Bless their souls. Yeah. Governor, this thing hit like a hammer. It seemed to come out of nowhere. I mean, a lot of folks obviously were caught off guard, which accounts for the 25 deaths you were talking about. As you look at it today, it, was there any possible way to give better warning, to let people know that this thing was going to be worse than maybe some had thought? 
So we shouted out uh, unequivocally that tornadoes uh, were likely and flooding was likely and that this was going to be a, a very significant uh, historic uh, rainstorm. Um, we declared a state of emergency before anybody else in our neighborhood. Having said that, this was historic. I mean, you've got eight to 10, if, if not more, inches of rain in a, in, in a, across only several hours. Um, and I think back to the warnings, Hoda, I don't know if it's human nature or not, but tornado warnings get heated immediately. People hear that, they go to their basement. And I think too many people, sadly, when they hear flooding, they think, you know what, it's water. I can deal with it. Yeah. And, and, and bless their souls, we've got 25 people who tried and, and lost their lives. All right, I know you've got a lot of work ahead for you today, uh, Governor Phil Murphy. We appreciate you spending time with us. We're sending our prayers out to you. Thank you, Hoda. Thanks for having me. Okay. Meantime, President Biden heads to Louisiana today to get a firsthand look at that state's catastrophic damage from Ida. Many communities there are still underwater, and nearly 900,000 homes and businesses remain without power five days after the storm hit. NBC national correspondent Miguel Almaguer is in the New Orleans suburb of Harahan. Miguel, good morning. Chanel, good morning. The trail of destruction you see behind me is widespread across local communities here. When the president arrives later on today, he'll find many people short on supplies and patience as the death toll climbs. When he arrives today in Louisiana, the president will find mangled cities, neighborhoods still underwater, and now a troubling rise in the death toll. Just before Ida tore across the southern end of the state, more than 800 nursing home patients were relocated north to this facility, what looks like a warehouse for their safety. But now officials, citing serious concern, have launched an investigation after four died, three deaths classified as storm-related. New Orleans has been forgotten. The troubling news comes as more than a million across the region, including seniors living alone, remain without power and air conditioning for a fifth day, many in desperate need of electricity to use medical devices. How much longer do you think you can last here? I can't. I can't last. I can't. Is this life and death for you? Yes, it is. With the shredded power grid slowly being restored, authorities have also confirmed three new carbon monoxide deaths at home, as many use gas generators without proper ventilation. The people of Louisiana and Mississippi are resilient and resourceful. We're going to stand with you for as long as it takes to recover and allow you to rebuild. As the scope of the damage comes into focus, we are now seeing some of the hardest hit communities like Lafitte for the first time. It's heartbreaking when you have grown men uh, who, who are tough, tough men, fishermen who call you and tears in their eyes and lost everything. It's just tough. It, it, it's just a tough time. The agony of Ida stretches far beyond the bayou. Today, lines for gas, food, water, and ice are hours long in scorching heat. It's so hard, like all of this, just thinking about where we have to go to eat and, you know, I, I don't know. I can't believe it's happening. This morning, the storm's devastating impact and now the agony of its aftermath. As you can see here, the cleanup in this devastated community will no doubt take several weeks, if not months, to complete. The death toll just in the south stands at 15, but officials are concerned as so many people don't have power. And of course, after those carbon monoxide deaths, that that number will climb. Of course, the president will see this firsthand today.
Chanel, back to you. So many families need help this morning. Thanks, Miguel. Meantime, uh, Ida's wrath and surging COVID cases, they are changing a lot of holiday travel plans for tens of millions of people, which is, this happens to be the unofficial end of summer. This weekend is a popular time for a quick little getaway, but a lot of people are now being forced, of course, to make changes. NBC's Tom Costello is at Reagan National with that part of the story. Hey, Tom, good morning. Hey, Hoda, you know, we thought we'd be in a different place earlier in the summer, right? Looking at Labor Day, but we've had the surge in the Delta variant. So many people still unvaccinated, hospitals overflowing. And so now many families are scaling back their Labor Day weekend plans, some planning on a more low-key summer send-off. With kids returning or already back in school and some companies slowly bringing employees back to the office, this Labor Day may be one spent closer to home. Arrival List, a company that tracks travel data, predicts nearly 43 million people will travel this holiday weekend, but that's down 10% from their 2019 Labor Day forecast. We were feeling good going into the summer, and then Delta came. Peter and Sarah Monahan of Maryland say they take an annual family trip to Disney, but decided to cancel their trip this year because of the Delta variant. How do the kids take it? They were disappointed. Um, we actually had plans to go last year that we canceled when the pandemic first hit. Especially for our youngest, it was a bit of a letdown, to, to say the least. The White House says the Delta variant currently accounts for 99% of new infections. Just over half the country, 175 million people, are now fully vaccinated. But many kids are not yet eligible, and more than a quarter of U.S. adults have not received a single dose. If you are unvaccinated, um, we would recommend not traveling. If you do plan to travel this weekend or maybe attend a local gathering, health experts recommend outdoor gatherings as much as possible, wear masks indoors, and consider the COVID case rates where you're headed. Labor Day, July 4th, and other Christmas and Thanksgiving holidays, we saw increases in cases. Back in Maryland, the Monahan still hope to soak in the last bit of summer sun. What are your plans now for Labor Day weekend? Um, just be at the beach for a few days, yeah. which is not bad. Yeah, go to the beach a few days. It's not Disney, they said. Uh, at the airport itself, the TSA reports really a pretty dramatic drop in the number of passengers coming through checkpoints over the last few days. And we're still about a half a million or more passengers below where we were two years ago. By the way, if you're going international in the coming weeks or months, check the individual countries you're going to and the requirements for vaccinations and masks. They are changing by the day. Guys, back to you. All right. Tom Costello for us there at Reagan National. Tom, thank you. All right. We'll get to your holiday weekend forecast in just a moment. But first, Tom Yamas joins us with another big story we're following yeah, today. Yeah, that's right. Guys, good morning to you. We are tracking the new fallout this morning over the controversial new law in Texas banning most abortions after six weeks. A divided Supreme Court allowing it to take effect, a decision that could have implications in dozens of other states across the country. NBC senior Washington correspondent Hallie Jackson has the latest. Hallie, good morning. Hey, Tom, good morning. The legal challenge to that Texas law is now in the hands of a lower court with no timeline on when that ruling could come. But a lot of folks are already looking ahead to a ripple effect now from the nation's capital to state capitals. From protests to praise, intense reaction to that controversial new Texas abortion law with the Supreme Court for now declining to block it. So what's next? 
This is not just about Texas, right? This fight is at our doorstep. Both sides seeing it as a potentially existential moment for abortion access across the country, with intensifying questions over what this means for the fate of Roe versus Wade, the 1973 landmark abortion rights decision. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi now announcing she'll hold a vote soon on a bill that would enshrine the Roe protections into law. But there's virtually no path for that in the Senate, given Republican opposition, unless Democrats decide to change procedural rules, which for now appears unlikely. At the White House, a combative exchange. Who does he believe then should look out for the unborn child? He believes that it's up to a woman to make those decisions. I know you've never faced those choices, nor have you ever been pregnant. President Biden pledging a whole-of-government push, asking the health and justice departments to look at what can be done federally. And the Supreme Court down the road could still rule on whether the law is constitutional. For their part, anti-abortion advocates seem energized, looking to use Texas as a blueprint, with Republicans in Florida and South Dakota already signaling they'll review their laws to see if they can be strengthened. The Texas law, which bans abortions after about six weeks and provides incentives to people who sue someone who helps provide an abortion, is crafted to try and make any legal challenge difficult by making enforcement up to private citizens instead of state officials. We do hope that other states will model their laws after the Texas Heartbeat Act. Our legislative team has already been working with a couple other states on what we did differently. So who could face lawsuits under that Texas law? We're talking about anybody who's seen as helping with the procedure, from the provider to somebody who pays for it, even somebody who drives the patient to a clinic, like an Uber driver. As for the Supreme Court here in Washington, the stage is set next term for a major ruling that could affect protections under Roe versus Wade, with justices reviewing a Mississippi law that bans most abortions after 15 weeks. Tom? They have wide implications as well. All right, Hallie, thank you for that. All right, it is 7-18. Okay, it is so good to see Al Roker back in studio. He has been a busy, busy guy. We're heading out into the holiday weekend. Al, what do you have? Well, we're going to start out, again, take a look at this northeast flood disaster. The storm uh, totals for this rainfall, you look upwards of seven inches. Hopewell, New Jersey, almost 10 inches. Same in Coatesville, seven and a half inches in New York City. Storm drain systems in New York City are only designed to ha handle maybe 1.3, uh, 1.3, uh, I should say 1.7 inches of rain per hour. You get three inches of rain per hour. That's what happens. And the climate connection for every one degree Celsius of warming of the atmosphere, it means it can hold 7% more water. And that's why we see these bigger storms, both rain and snowstorms, more likely becoming much larger events. And when you add to the, we look since 1958, 55% more of a chance of having these big, big rain events in the Northeast, 42% as you get into the Midwest, 27% as you get into the Southeast. So this is going to be something we see over and over again because of climate. And that's your latest weather. Hoda. Can I just say again, we're happy you're home. Well, we missed you when you Thanks. were gone. You really worked really yes. hard. But well, yeah, in our hearts and thoughts and prayers yeah. are with everybody here in the Northeast and down the Gulf Coast. It's All right. tough. But thanks. Thanks, Al. Mm -hmm. All right, coming up, controversy over a medal-winning performance at the Paralympics. A shot putter stripped of his gold medal because he was late to the event by three minutes. Plus, the uncertain future of the Queen Mary, the iconic cruise ship turned tourist attraction, is in desperate need of repair, but is the potential price tag of hundreds of millions of dollars simply too steep? We're live with a growing battle that has people taking sides. But first, this is Today on NBC.
730. It's Friday. A long holiday weekend is knocking on the door and we want to jumpstart it with you. We got we're going to celebrate a little bit here on a on a Friday morning. But first, a check of your 730 headlines and we'll begin with breaking news overnight. Six people injured after a terror attack at a New Zealand supermarket. Police say a knife wielding suspect went on a stabbing spree at a store in Auckland. The Sri Lankan national was known to authorities as an ISIS supporter and was being followed around the clock. Police shot and killed the assailant within 60 seconds of when the attack started. Three of the victims are said to be in critical condition. General Motors has announced a temporary shutdown of most of its U.S. assembly plants because of the worldwide microchip shortage made worse by the COVID pandemic. Factories in Tennessee, Missouri, Michigan, and Indiana, they'll be idled for two weeks. That's going to reduce production of some of GM's most popular pickup trucks and SUV, including the Chevy Silverado and the GMC Sierra. Ford, Nissan, and Toyota have also cut production because of the chip shortage. Yeah, we want to show you some wild video now. Space company Firefly launched its Alpha rocket for the first time last night, but the unmanned flight exploded in a fiery explosion. Take a look. It happened just a couple minutes after takeoff. The rocket was attempting to reach orbit when it suddenly exploded in the sky above the Pacific Ocean. You see that right there. Firefly later confirmed that the rocket had experienced an anomaly, but said it was too early to draw conclusions about what had caused that rocket to blow. Wow. Yeah. All right, now let's move to a controversy from the Paralympic Games in Tokyo. A shot putter who won gold saw his medal taken away. The reason? He was just minutes late for the competition. NBC's Ann Thompson is here with that story. <laughs> okay. Did, you relate? Didn't see that. <laughs> oh, it's like, who hasn't been late? But yeah. this time it really cost him. This controversy, stripping an athlete of a gold medal because he was three minutes late to an event, is raising new questions this morning. Supporters of the Paralympic star Muhammad Ziad Zokefli feel the rules may be too harsh, while others say rules are rules. This morning, a shocking disqualification at the Tokyo Paralympics, causing controversy around strict Olympic rules. Officials say Malaysian shot putter Muhammad Ziad Zulkefli became ineligible to compete after arriving three minutes late to his event. Ah! The 31-year-old turning in the longest throw of the competition, 17.94 meters, which would have been good enough to win a gold medal and set a new world record. Organizers say Zolkefli and two others were originally allowed to compete, despite their tardiness to the event. But a referee later determining there was no justifiable reason to excuse Zolkefli from following the official rules, requiring athletes who arrive late to the call room to be given a DNS did not start result. Zolkefli was three minutes late to that room. The Olympics has a long history of some athletes being stripped of medals, sometimes for failing performance-enhancing drug tests like Lance Armstrong. Others for sportsmanship, like a wrestler in 2008 who was stripped of his bronze medal after angrily putting it on the floor. But this three-minute late violation seems to be a new one. Coming into the Tokyo Games, Zolkefli's successes at Rio in 2016 and at other international competitions had already made him a sporting hero in Malaysia. Now with his hopes for another medal gone, Zolkefli posting on social media, I apologize to all Malaysians. Thank you for supporting me.
So, Anne, who originally made this request for him to be disqualified? It was Ukraine. Mm. <laughs> who was so, it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the question. Yeah. And, and uh, so they actually asked that Zulkefli be stripped of his medal due to the late arrival. And the gold ended up going to their competitor in the event who placed second. That's why there's a lot of outrage online this morning that's been directed at the Ukrainian team. Yeah, they don't feel like they're playing fair either. And would you want to win the medal because you reported somebody else was late? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It just seems so silly. And plus, yeah. he was allowed to compete. Exactly. So if they would have stopped him before and said, look, sorry, right. you're late, right. I, you cannot compete. But it's one thing for it to have gone through yeah. and been over with. And if he hadn't won the gold, let's say he finished fourth or fifth, would yeah. they have complained at all? No. Yeah. No. That's true. No. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank all right, thanks you, so much, okay. All right, coming up. What should happen to the Queen Mary? In major need of repair, is the iconic ship worth saving at a huge cost to taxpayers? Or should it be towed? out to sea and sank. We're live with the latest on that now raging debate after these messages. Hey everyone, uh, welcome back. This morning on In Depth Today, a national treasure is facing an uncertain future. The Queen Mary was the largest ship in the world when it took to the seas in the 1930s. Now long retired, the iconic ocean liner is docked in California as a tourist attraction and in desperate need of repair. NBC's Aaron McLaughlin joins us now with more on this story. Hey, Aaron, good morning. Good morning, guys. Right now, the ship is closed to visitors due to COVID, but ever since she arrived here in Long Beach, the Queen Mary has become a part of the city's identity. Now she's in jeopardy, and there are real fears that without millions in investment, she could sink. The Queen Mary, an icon of a generation long gone. The last of the golden age of the ocean liners, once the fastest way to cross the Atlantic for millions of passengers, including the rich and famous. During World War II, the Queen Mary played a critical role, transporting troops and leading the Allied forces to victory. In 1967, she was retired to the city of Long Beach, California, becoming a tourist attraction. But today, the beloved queen faces an uncertain future. She is hurting. Find me an 87-year-old that doesn't have a few cracks in the paint. A recent inspection found the vessel needs much more than new paint. More than $20 million in repairs are desperately needed just to keep the ship viable for the next two years. This is an important part of not just the history of the city, of the country and the world, and it should absolutely be preserved. And preservation is also expensive. The city says it essentially has three options. Preserve the ship for the next 25 years, costing nearly $200 million. Dry dock the ship, costing up to $500 million. Or dismantle and sink the vessel, costing as much as it does to preserve it. Some say let her sink. I personally feel it may be too far gone to save. Dr. Geraldine Natz is the former managing director for the Port of Long Beach. She says she toured the bowels of the ship in the 1990s with inspection engineers and found that the Queen Mary was rusting from the inside out. The city should not throw good money after bad. When the ship was built all the way back in the 1930s, it was the largest in the world. As you can see, it's massive, more than a fifth of a mile in length. It's significantly larger than the Titanic and longer than the Eiffel Tower. Now the big question, can it be saved? This is a crew area up here. We were given an exclusive tour from the stage where comedian Bob Hope performed right before the start of World War II. Mr. Hope got up on the stage, entertained the room. Everyone laughed. 
a little bit of tension was relieved. To the luxury rooms of the wealthy and powerful. And I'm sure it was a who's who in all of them. It's a special place and there's really nothing like it across the country. People come here from everywhere just to enjoy it. I understand people are emotionally attached to the ship. Uh, no one wants to be, you know, mayor or city council member who sunk the Queen Mary. Since she arrived in Long Beach, 50 million people have visited the ship, boosting the city's economy. But many arguing this shouldn't be about money. It's about preserving the city's identity. I think it's like something worth saving. The definition of Long Beach is the Queen Mary. Save the Queen, definitely. Oh, save the queen. I do, I do like that. So uh, obviously that, that's been in disrepair for a long, long time. So how come the city just waited until now to address this problem? Well, Hoda, for the last 40 years, she's been under the control of various operators. And the mayor says during that time, she was neglected. It wasn't until recently that the city regained control of the ship. And now this all-out push to look at various options and potential investors to save the queen. All right. Hoda. Okay, well, they got a bumper sticker there, save the queen, save for the queen. sure. All right, Aaron, thank you. It's kind of catchy. Yeah. All right, time now for another check of the weather. Mr. Roker? Yeah, I say they save it. Let's do that. Keep a piece of history alive. Let's look at what's going on right now. we got another hurricane out there. This one, Hurricane Larry, uh, 970 miles west of the Cabo Verde Islands, 90 mile per hour winds. It's moving west-northwest at 20. It's pr uh, predicted to become a Category 4 storm threatening Bermuda sometime early next into mid-next week. We'll keep an eye on it. Right now, it's nothing we have to worry about here in the United States, but we will see. Temperatures for the September looking very warm out west, cooler than average down through the Gulf Coast into the Mississippi River Valley. And precipitation-wise, it looks really wetter than average into the northeast and mid-Atlantic states, down into the Gulf, southwest as well, drier than average. That's not great news for the Pacific Northwest and Northern California. And that is your latest weather. All okay. right, thank Sal. you, Al. Just ahead, a timely story that a lot of people may need to see with homes and basements flooded by Ida from the south to New England. Yeah, Vicki Wynn will walk us through the right ways to clean up and salvage your personal treasures. But first, these messages. Welcome back. Coming up on Pop Start, not only will Carson take us inside Abba's big comeback, but Al, he'll also have something for you, my mm. friend, the new Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer. Actually, I've already seen the movie. Of course you <laughs> have. Coming up next, your 8 o'clock hour.